Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Our topic today is how Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. Now, you may be saying, well, that's an unusual topic compared to all of the other topics that you have coming. Not exactly. As I've said many times, God has called me to raise up an end-time army of prophecy teachers working miracles, meaning we're all supposed to be soul winners, meaning when this trouble hits, we want to be ready so that we can be not only a blessing and an answer, but be able to lead them and point them to Jesus. And since a lot of people have been raised to believe that there is no God, one of the things that's very important for us to be able to do is to prove that the Bible is real. And that's the reason I recommend you're going to order that this, this book and this DVD today that we're about to offer, because everybody needs to have a copy of this, because you can sit down with a complete atheist, especially if their name is in the Book of Life, and you can give them enough proof with this to prove that the Bible is true, that Jesus is Lord, and that they need to accept him, need to ask him to forgive their sins. So we're going to be talking about Pharaoh and how you drowned the Red Sea. Now, this is going to be a two-part thing because I it would take me an hour, and that's just too long for one segment. So here's what I'm going to do. Today is going to be the background, and then tomorrow is going to be more of the pictures. At least that's what I plan anyway. So this is the background, the story of Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. Now, I'm going to have some scripture in this, and I know that any time I start getting too scripture intensive, I start losing people. But I encourage you to stay with me today. This is really important, and I promise you that you're going to see some things and hear some things, even in the scriptures, you have never seen or heard before. You're probably going to find yourself mouth your mouth dropping open as I go through some of this. All right, so anyway, Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. I'm offering you proof that the Bible is true. This is what I want you to get. The, the DVD on the left is the explanation the book on the right is more just pictures, but you need both of them. Both of them, and you can convince anybody that will be convinced that the Bible is true and Jesus is Lord. This is what's in the book. The first one-fifth of it is about Noah's Ark. The next segment is on Sodom and Gomorrah. The next one, which we're covering today, is the Red Sea Crossing and Mount Sinai. And then the last segment, which I'll get to hopefully here before too long, on the Ark of the Covenant. We already covered Noah's Ark. This is a picture of it. Only eight people survived the worldwide flood, seven clean and two uh, every unclean animal. How it rained 40 days, 40 nights. They survived by getting on a boat, and the boat uh, was afloat for some 150 days. Then we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. These are actual photographs of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it proves, see, in nature you do not see straight lines, perfect circles, or exact 90-degree angles. This picture has all of them. means that what was here was man-created. The Bible says, here's one of the things you probably didn't see. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Where did the brimstone come from? It didn't come from someplace on earth. As a matter of fact, the brimstone, these balls of sulfur that we picked up. I've got balls of them. I've showed you in other, other, other videos. They did not come from someplace on earth. Some angel did not go up, up here and open up a crack in the earth and pull a bunch of sulfur from someplace on earth. 
it says they came out of heaven. Just like when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up into heaven. When John looked up into heaven, he saw seven. I saw heaven open, and in it I saw the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So it's it's another. It's not a planet out there. It's a like another dimension. When Jesus returns on the white horse, the heaven rolls back like a scroll because time enters into excuse me, eternity enters into time. So that heaven rolling back like a scroll is eternity spreading out time. So when it says fire and brimstone were rained out of heaven, that's exactly what it meant. It was literally a window from another dimension was opened and poured out. They had no time to prepare. It was instant. Now, let's talk about how Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea. This is a picture of Leslie Nye, 1991, in Jerusalem, just to prove to you that, yes, we went on this archaeological tour with Ron Wyatt in 1999 or 1991, where we see all of these things here, we've been there, okay? So I can attest to them. Many of these pictures we have. However, he's been there a lot more than we have, and he has a lot more pictures and better pictures and this book is high resolution. It looks like original photographs. You got to get this book. It's, believe me, the whole package is well worth $100, we ask. If you pay $1,000 for it, you couldn't replace it. Let's go on, though. So this is what I recommend you get. The book has the pictures. The DVD has the explanation. Three and a half hours, both of them together, 100 bucks deal. So this part is not in the book, as I said. This is the background on it. Exodus 12.29. We'll start with the story here. And it came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, which was probably Tutankhamun, at least that's what Ron White believed, on his throne under the firstborn, under the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Think about that. That was a lot of people killed in one night, and including the Pharaoh's son. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, that were a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Think about that. Try to imagine a city where every house had someone dead in it all the same night. That's shocking. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up. Get you forth from among the people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord, as ye have said. So this is what some ten plagues Moses had been asking the Pharaoh to let them go do. Take your flocks, your herds, as you said, and be gone, and bless me also. So he was at this time distraught. However, he doesn't keep this attitude. They were told to take kneading troughs, and this is probably what those kneading troughs look like. And I'm also going to show you something that you probably haven't seen before on that either. 1233, Exodus. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all as dead men. And the people took their dough, now notice this, dough before it was leavened. Well, having made now about 80 loaves of bread, I can tell you what went on. Today we put yeast or leaven, into the dough, and we knead it so it mixes all up, so that it makes a little faster. But in those days, what they had to do was simply grind the wheat berries, probably between two rocks. That's what this is. 
here, okay? That's a kneading trough. That's what they basically used to take the wheat berries, crush them, and then they kept kneading them, and then they laid the dough out so that it would catch the yeast, or it would catch the particles in the air, and then they kept kneading that to mix that all up in the air, and then after it got enough yeast out of the air, then they let it rise. And that's the reason it says they they took their dough. So this meant that the dough was changed from wheat berries into flour, to which they added probably water and, and olive oil, probably. And then they laid it out so it would catch the yeast out of the air, and then they would knead it to mix the yeast all up, and then they had to let the dough rise. But in this case, they didn't have time to let it rise, so it says before it was leavened. Okay, today we add the leaven, but in those days they didn't have little packets of leaven to add. Their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Point is, they left in great haste. They weren't planning to leave. The children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. Why? Because for some 430 years, they had been slaves. Slaves typically are not paid what they're worth. A lot of times they work for free. So this was God sending them out with great blessing, sending them out with payment that they should have got through the 430 years. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lended them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God let them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Now, let me show you what that was. So they left out from over here, way over to the left. And then they had to cross through here. And he was heading them up to this area here, which is what we call today modern Israel. So the shorter way would have been here. But he didn't do that. One is he was afraid that they would just quit when they saw war and head back down here to Egypt. Also, what he does is he brings them from here, brings them down to, I'll show you right here in just a second, see a lot of maps in a second, down to Nueva Beach. They cross here, and then they go over to here, which is the real Mount Sinai. So they weren't going immediately to Israel. They were really going to Mount Sinai because God already knew that they were going to sin, and they weren't going there right then. They were going to take another 40 years wandering out in the desert. Now let's go back to the scriptures here. So that God let them not what through the way to the land of Philistines, although it was near. For God said, let's adventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. This is going to be important here in just a second. And Moses took the bones of Jesus, Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn that your children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. And ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. So they carried the bones. Now, they took their journey from Sukkot and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. So where was Sukkot? Let's see if I've got another map here. Okay, so Sukkot was back over here. They crossed here, crossed over the Red Sea here, and went to Mount Sinai here. Contrary to what a lot of people think today. It's amazing how many people think they got something right and they don't. Anyway, so I actually have been to these places, okay? 
And the Lord went before them by day in pillar by cloud to lead them the way by night in the pillar by fire to give them light to go by day and night. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Philhaeroth, before between Migdal, the sea, over against Baal Zephon, I'm going to show you, before you shall encamp by the sea. Because Pharaoh is going to say to the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. Now, that's an important phrase. I'm going to show you what that means, entangled in the land. In other words, they've got themselves backed in a corner. And so Pharaoh sees his opportunity to go and bring them back because they didn't like having to chop their own wood, make their own bricks. Instead, they'd prefer to have their slaves do it. They were entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. Now, this is a very strange phrase, and I'm going to say that most people won't understand this unless they understand Revelation. I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. What's happening? He's going to kill them to get him honor. Honor because he kills them? Yes. And is it, then the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord because he killed them? Yes. Some 600 chariots filled with his best army, the most advanced, most well-equipped, the strongest army in the world at the time. God drowns them into the sea. Why? Because then all the world, not just the Egyptians, but all the world came to realize there's a God. Now, I believe that's what God is about to do to America because America is supposed to be the city on the hill that shines the light of the gospel to the world. And America was the nation who took the Bible to the gospel to the world and was blessed for it. But now she's become, she saith in her heart, a said a queen, and I'm no widow and she'll see no sorrow. Therefore shall a plague come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So God is angry at America because, like in Revelation 18, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power in the earth, was light with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, here it is, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So because we have fallen away when we were supposed to be that Christian nation, we were supposed to be following Jesus, we have embarrassed him, so he's going to bring the Russians down to hit us with massive nuclear weapons, hundreds of the big ones, much, much bigger than what hit Japan, to get him honor so that all the world will once again come to know that there is a God in heaven, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. We want our servants back. And so they took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand, meaning God blessed them as they left. And the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and the horsemen and his army overtook them encamping by the seed beside Phihahiroth before Baal, look at that word, Baal, Baalzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. 
And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Now, here's what he meant when he said they were entangled in the land. In that area, all of these these are dry riverbeds. Through the years, rain doesn't come very often in the desert, but when it does, it's what they call, as someone who grew up in the desert, uh, gully washers. So it has washed down this ravine. Now, Ron said that when they went down this ravine, he said he could see where these three million people walked through the desert. You might be thinking, you mean you can follow them through the desert, even though it's some 3,000 years later? Yes, because when you have 3,000 people walking through the desert, things break. Pottery breaks and things like that. They don't have trash cans, so they just left it. He said, and of course, pottery today is the same pottery as it was 3,000 years ago in the dry desert, so it was easy to follow the broken pieces. Also, when that large group of people that were used to building pyramids, used to building, moving big, heavy stones, when they would come upon a stone in the way, they just rolled it out of the way. He says, well, I could see that the stones had been rolled away for the children of Israel to go down this, this, uh, this ravine here. But the interesting part, he said, when I dove down into the water, Underneath the water, he says, I could see the same pattern of how they rolled the big heavy stones out of the way so that they could go down on the dry land underneath it. It's an amazing story. Few people can tell you this story. So why has God got you able to tell this story? I think it's because there's going to be a time that Leslie and I are speaking in sports stadiums to a lot of Americans that have been taught atheism, taught that there is no God, God is dead, and we're going to have to prove to them that there is a God, he is alive, so that they will come down out of the sports stadiums, big tears in their eyes, come down to the football gridiron, fall on their face, giving their heart to Jesus. That's why he showed us this. And I'm bringing you this because this place here, I've been there. I've been there. I, I can. Leslie and I both, we went there, 1991. Now, this is what you're looking at. So the children of Israel went down this ravine. It's basically a dry riverbed or a dry wadi, they called them. So then it's going to say that they went on here, out here on this little beach. This is where the sand through many years of these gully washers washing the sand out of the gully down to this what is called a Nueva Beach. Then you'll see in just a second the scriptures say that the pillar went and withdrew from behind them. So the pillar pulled them up here. And then there's a pillar of fire between the Egyptians that were all down here. They had to spend the night there because God wouldn't let them come down. Then it's going to say that he hit the the Red Sea with an east wind. Now, I think an east wind these days typically means that it comes out of the east. Well, an east wind would be this way. But as I recall... I think Ron Wyatt said that the narrow side was on this side and the wide side was on this side. In other words, probably what happened is an angel hit the water with a really, really powerful, hard east wind. So apparently the Bible refers to it as it was blowing east. I'm not sure of that. Anyway, it hit here and then it blew out with wind so fierce and hard that it blew it like in kind of a... Um, wider over here than it was over here. And underneath this, I'm about to show you in a second, 
was a an underwater land bridge. So he he literally got when when water evaporates so fast it can literally freeze. There's places where they call them ice caves. When I was a kid, I went there. I don't remember it though. But anyway, uh, so the the water the the wind started flowing or hitting here, and it blew it so hard that the wall walls were ice. The Bible says in another place the walls were congealed or they were ice. Now, see, we finished there. Okay, let's go on. Here's another picture of it. So they were up here, and instead of going the short way over to Israel this way, he said, no, I'm going to take them down this way. And they crossed over here at Nueva, and they went over here to Mount Sinai. I think I've got some other maps. This is what... Ron Wyatt discovered when he looked under the water that there was an underland, underwater land bridge. Over here, it's a deep, steep drop-off of water. But here, there's a very shallow, like a 19 degrees, I remember. Maybe it was a 6% grade. I get my numbers mixed up there. Anyway, so it was a nice, gentle drop-off here, and then they crossed over here. So it was an underwater land bridge taking them across the Red Sea. This side was in unleavened bread. They were still eating unleavened bread. This symbolized Egypt or the world of death and sin. Crossing over here was on first fruits, which is symbolizing uh, crossing into the life of Christ or eternity. Here's another picture of it. Underwater land bridge. Amazing. Amazing. Again, this is proof that the Bible is true. Here's another shot of it. This is where the Egyptians came down following them. There was a pillar of fire right here. The Egyptian, the, the Israelites spent the night out here on this uh, beach, and that is, yes, big enough to hold three million people and their wives and their children and the cattle and everything. And then the next morning, they crossed through here, and I've been there. I've, I didn't take this picture, but I have a picture of me and Leslie. We were standing up on this little concrete thing here, this is a pillar pillar that is made of red granite. Again, I've touched it. I've been there. Leslie and I were standing on that little concrete thing there. And Ron Wyatt believes that this was erected by King Solomon to commemorate there was one on the entrance and one on the exit side. This particular one is on the exit side, as I recall. And he found the words like Pharaoh and things like that. It made him think that it was erected to commemorate the uh, the crossing site of the Red Sea. So we have land bridges. Here's uh, now Mount Sinai. So let me back up. So they were up here. They crossed over here. They went down like this. Here's Nueva. Then they crossed and they went to Mount Sinai. That's the whole point of this whole thing. So here's Nueva again. They crossed over here and they went over to Jabal El Laws. And that is, uh, what do they call that? Um, um, GPS, that is the actual location of Jabal El Laws, which means Mountain of Almonds. Remember uh, um, 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 the, the, the rod that budded. Okay, let's go on. Exodus fourteen sixteen. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea. And divided under the children of Israel shall go through on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians that they shall follow them. And I will get me honor on Pharaoh. That's the second time. I'm going to get me honor on Pharaoh. And I'm going to explain that to another. 
I'm going to show you something you probably haven't seen either in just a second. Get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When he kills them, yes. When he kills their army and does to them what he did to his people, I'll explain in a second, he gets honor. Shall know that I am the Lord, that I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came to pass, the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all night long. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night it made the sea dry land. The sea became dry land. The sea became dry land. That's, that's a big statement. Easy to read, hard to do. And the waters were divided. So here's the pillar, my opinion, is probably right here. On this side, it was darkness to the Egyptians. On this side, it was light, and it was a pillar of fire they could not get through to the, the children of Israel. East wind blew this way, as I recall. Anyway, it was dry land. He crossed over, and the walls were ice walls. And the children of Israel were went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And the waters were a wall under them on the right hand, on on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels. Took off their chariot wheels. Why did he take off their chariot wheels? I'll tell you why. It's because... So the children of Israel, they were mostly on foot. They had their women. They had their children. They had their cattle. It's about 20 miles across here. So 20 miles took them a good amount of time to get across there. They also had rolled big boulders out of the way. So they probably weren't all the way across. They were probably like, say, three-quarters of the way across when all of a sudden, at exactly the right time, the Lord removed the cloud and allowed the Egyptians to come in. But as they were much faster because they had chariots, they were easily able to catch them up. So he saw they were going to get caught up. So it says he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. In other words, the Lord removed the chariot wheels from the chariots so it would slow them down so they could not catch the children of Israel. All this was a timing thing. God had it all under control. Now, in that, it says that the chariot wheels removed from the chariots. When they found the chariots, or when they found the chariot wheels, what should be the case? You should not find chariots with chariot wheels on it. In other words, all of the, when you go down there under the water, if this is true, if this is of God, if the Bible's really true, then you would find the chariot wheels off of the chariots. Guess what Ron Wyatt found? He found the chariot wheels had been removed from the chariots. Now, if there was any other explanation, why would you take the chariot wheels off the chariots? Why would you take the chariot wheels off the chariots that they would find underneath the Red Sea? There's only one explanation. So when you have the book and you have the DVD and you have the understanding, you have the Bible, and you can explain this to people and their mouth drop, drops open, Guess what? You're about to get to lead someone to the Lord. 
They're about to see that the Bible is true. The Bible is real. Now, you and I know this. It's not hard for us to believe. But for someone that has been taught that they came from the goo, they graduated from the goo to the zoo, and now they're you, <laughs> it's, they need something like this to convince them. Someone that has been told that there is no God, an atheist, all of their life, they need to see this in order to receive Jesus. He who wins souls is life. Daniel 12, 4 says, Though they that turn many people to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. So there's great blessings in saving souls, probably more so than anything else we can do in this life. So took off the chariot wheels that they drove heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. So all of the greatest army in the world at the time, the Egyptian army and the Pharaoh, all drowned. But the children of Israel walked through on dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egypt. And Israel saw the Egyptians, this is important, the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Why is that important? Because probably what was on that seashore were things like shields, arrows, bows, spears, chariot, chariot parts, because this was the greatest army in the world at the time. And all of that army's fighting capabilities were now, along with a lot of dead Egyptians, upon the seashore. So all of the, the, the children of Israel went and gathered up all of the spoil, which was mainly giving them tools to fight in the future wars that they're going to be going into. See, again, I told you, you're going, to, you're going to see some things in this talk that you've never seen before. Now, let's go back. So here we were in Exodus 14. Now let's back up. Why did God drown them? Why did drowning give him honor? Exodus 1.22, the Pharaoh, this is years before, this is back when Moses was a child, a baby. Pharaoh had charged all his people, set forth a law saying that every son that is born shall be cast into the Nile River. Every daughter is going to be kept alive. There went a man out of the house of Levi, that's a priest, and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So Moses was from a priest man and from a, a daughter of a priest. So he was a priest. Moses was a priest unto the Lord. And then the woman conceived, bare a son. When she saw him, that he was a goodly child. She hid him three months. So he's three months old. She finally saw she couldn't hide him any longer, so she made an ark out of bulrushes, in other words, just sticks, okay, and dobbed it with slime and pitch. What is slime and pitch? Today we call it tar or thick crude oil, what they make our asphalt um, highways out of, which tells me that they had crude oil in the area. 
which also tells me that there's going to be a time that Leslie and I go to Israel to drill for and find and present oil to Israel. Now, an ark of bulrushes and dodged with slime and pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. His sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along the river's side, and when they saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maids to fetch. All of this is the hand of God. So did you catch this? So a priest, Moses, was put into a, an ark, and the daughter of Pharaoh was assigned to find the child so that Moses, a Jew, would be raised in the house of a king be raised in the house of Pharaoh. Why? Because one day Moses was going to have to come back to one of his stepbrothers, the Pharaoh, that he was raised in the same house with and say, let my people go. So he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was raised in the house of a king. So he knew the proper order of the king's court. He knew these people. When Moses went in to talk to Pharaoh, he was not talking to a stranger. He was talking to one of the brothers he had been raised with. I told you, you're going to see some things you hadn't seen before. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse to the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maiden went and called the child's mother. Okay, so you got this? So Moses' mother puts Moses into a little boat daubed with pitch with crude oil, put him in the water. God arranges for the daughter of Pharaoh to come down and find him and then calls the child's mother to nurse the child and to raise the child. And then Pharaoh's daughter says, and I'll pay you to do so. So Moses, at the hand of God, was raised in the king's court. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Pharaoh's daughter said, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him into Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So God put a Jew, a, a child of Israel, in the, the Pharaoh's house. And she called his name Moshe, which is the way you really pronounce it. And she, she said, because I drew him out of the water, Moshe. We say Moses, but the correct Israeli pronunciation, I learned that when I was in Israel, is Moshe. So, let me say something else here. So this is Jerusalem. About 214 to 216 miles straight south of Jerusalem is Mount Sinai. You see, God is going to cause, once again, the Jews to leave a land where they have become slaves and bring them back to Mount Sinai. Oh, really? He's going to do that? Yeah, I'll show you in just a second. This is Jimmy Penny Caldwell. And back, oh my goodness, it would have been in the early early 2000s. Uh, they called us, asked Leslie and I to come and stay in their home. We stayed in their home, literally Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and it was, we talked constantly, the four of us, because these were the people that really, the real discoverers 
of the real Mount Sinai. We saw a piece of cedar wood that they said was probably from the burning bush. We saw two uh, two things that kind of represent very large pancakes, except for they were stone. And they said they believed that they used them to grind the manna because manna was like wheat seed. Okay, and they had to grind it to make their flour. Uh, they showed us all kinds of amazing things. They told us what it was like to climb. The, the, the one side of Mount Sinai is not so hard to climb, but the other side is extremely difficult. And they said it took them three days of arduous climbing to get to the top of Mount Sinai. And they told us the whole story, amazing story, amazing story, which, by the way, they've got a DVD. I don't have their website handy here, but they got an awesome DVD. We carried it for a while at Prophets Club. Anyway, the story is, so they left Ramses. The children of Israel left here. They crossed through this little waterway here, which was not the Red Sea crossing. Then they came down from Sukkot over here. This is where the pillar of fire uh, showed them by night and told them to move back. This is where they crossed the Red Sea. And then some, I think it was like 40 days later or something like that, they arrived to come at Mount Sinai or Jabal el-Laz. So again, we've been to these places. Now, we haven't been to Mount Sinai. That's one of the things I want to do. But we have been to like Kadesh Barnea, two-week tour and with Ron White. It was just awesome. So once again, they left here, went down to Nueva, crossed, and they went to Mount Sinai. I show you the same thing through several different maps because sometimes you can see it better by having the different maps. This is the uh, outlay of Mount Sinai. This is where they crossed the Gulf of Aqaba, is correct term today. Back then they called it the Red Sea. Now, when Ron Wyatt was uh, following them through the desert, he said, we kept seeing these scratches like this on rocks every place. He said, we can't understand what it was. He kept taking pictures and measuring them because they saw them every place. It was not until one of the Arab people explained. He said, well, first of all, if you look at that, that is an outline of someone that puts their sandal down on the rock and then scratches around their sandal. This is where the sandal attaches here. And then, of course, it goes between the big toe and the next to the big toe. This is an outline of a sandal. He said, well, then what's these three marks? He said, well, that's an ancient Hebrew language for the word soul. See, not only was Abraham told that every place the sole of your foot touches, I'm going to give that land to you, but he also gave Moses the same promise. So every place the children of Israel walked all down through the wilderness, what we call today Saudi Arabia, Every place that belongs to Israel. And I believe one of these days, they are going to get all of that land back, which will probably be most, if not all, of Saudi Arabia belongs to Israel. This is, I did not draw, draw this map, but found this on the Internet. I hope I don't offend anybody by showing it. But uh, this is, an, and I, I, I didn't draw it. I haven't actually been to this place, so I can't do a whole lot of explaining so I'll just let you pause and let you read and look at it. But it kind of helps you to understand some things. One of these days, I plan to go on one of those tours. 
to see this this part too. I haven't seen this part. This is a picture. Pull this off the internet. These are some of the wheels. I don't think Ron Wyan. I don't think they're he. These are some of his pictures. There were some other people after that that went and verified what Ron Wyatt, a lot of people walked in Ron Wyatt's footsteps to verify what he had said. And these are chariot wheels. Now, the interesting part is they're all six-spoke chariot wheels. And the wheels of the chariots in those days were six spokes. This is another drawing pulled off the Internet. Again, this is not in the book. I'm going to show you things in the book and the program tomorrow. The cleft, that rock uh, where Moses stood is right up there. The blackened peak, the cave of Elijah here, the altar that uh, Moses built, the guardhouse. All of these are perhaps one day, Leslie and I get to go, and maybe you can go too. Anyway, here's another picture of the soles of the feet. This is the rock that Moses struck, and uh, now I have not been there, but I've seen lots of pictures of it. But probably it was one solid rock until Moses struck it. And then they say that up in the middle, like right up in here, there's a big area about the size of a large beach ball that is round. And they said that water didn't come up from here and squirt out here. The water was formed out of midair right here in this big beach ball area. And if you're there, the people say that you can see that large amounts of water have flowed out of the center of this rock. So when Moses struck the rock, it didn't come up from beneath the ground. It was created in thin air. These are, now we've got some of these pictures in the presentation or out of the book. I'll show you tomorrow. But these are some of the other pillar remains that they found at Mount Sinai, confirming that it is the real Mount Sinai. And this is Jim and Penny Caldwell, again, pictures of them being at Mount Sinai, proving that they were the ones that discovered this. Now let's go back to the scriptures. I'm going to tie one more thing. We're about done. Let's go to Revelation 12. And the woman, that's the church. In other words, this is the church that is living in Jerusalem. And when they see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Matthew 24 tells them to run. Okay, well, where do they run? This is them running. And the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place. Where she is nourished for a time, that's one year, times, that's two years and a half. So that's three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Meaning that when the abomination of desolation takes place, you remember I, I'd have to back up a lot of slides to show you. I might have it here. No, I, I, they leave Jerusalem to go straight south, 216 miles straight south of the real Mount Sinai, where they offer praises of worship not praises of animals, not sacrifice, sacrifice of animals, but sacrifice of praise. Once again, they run for their life. They run from slavery. Once again, they have a supernatural experience with God at Mount Sinai, and that's what this is saying. As they're going down, remember those ravines? As they're going down, the serpent cast water out of his mouth as a flood after the woman, after the church, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So as they're going down those ravines, the devil casts water out of his feet. He probably causes a big gully washer to come, trying to drown them. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of its mouth. 
And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Meaning, as they're going down there, the devil causes a big gully washer to try to drown all of the Christians that saw the the uh, abomination of desolation and ran from Jerusalem. But the earth opens up, swallows up the flood, and then they are supernaturally protected for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And they offer up praises of worship, not sacrifices of animals, but sacrifices of worship. I think to confirm of this, uh, one of the things I pray every day, that God let me be a part of building land of unwalled villages. This is welcome to know. The, the nation of Saudi Arabia is in the process of taking a large portion, which just happens to be, remember they crossed right here. No, no, not here. Crossed right here, okay? This is Nueva. Crossed here. They went down to Mount Sinai. All of this is now being turned into a big area. Saudi Arabia is spending billions of dollars developing this into a big tourist area. Well, I think that they're preparing it for those Jews that leave Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation when they see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. One last thing. <coughs> 520 of 2018, Maurice Scalar, we had him come in to speak. We went out to eat. As we're sitting at a restaurant, all of a sudden he says, Lord, here? He says, I have a prophecy for you. So I grabbed my cell phone and I started recording. And this is what he said. Moore said, I see you and Leslie over there in Israel, but you're actually outside. You were, you were more towards like even east of, Jer- of Jordan. You were down towards us like Saudi Arabia or near there and there is oil there. You're, and by the way, he did not know at this time that we had a call to go and find the oil for Israel. You're going to be helping the 144,000. You're going to be helping the communication and the provision. You're going to be a financer. And the Prophecy Club is going to be vital, and even the Israeli army is going to listen to you. You're strategically placed. The Lord is going to use you in the darkest hour, the very darkest hour in all of history. You're going to be used mightily. You're called geographically to this particular place. I could show you on a map. I can see it in my head. It's south and east of the present Israel. To the east of the Dead Sea, south and east, I see a circle. It has to do with oil. It has to do with spiritual intelligence. Now, where do I believe that is? I believe that the high probability is that is Petra right here. Now, let me back up. So the children of Israel left here. They crossed over the Gulf of Aqaba. Here's Nueva crossed here. Then they went to Mount Sinai here. Bible says that they will build a land of unwalled villages. Here I've got Ezekiel 38:11. The land of unwalled villages, to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. The desolate places that are now inhabited upon the people that are gathered out of the nation, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. What we want to do is build a land of unwalled villages. What we want to do is bring Christians and Jews back from around the world. And I want to say to Israel, look, you vet the Jews, I'll vet the Christians, me and my team. You might be a part of that team where I put you along with other people in a room interviewing people to decide if these people are really Christians. 
if we want to let them come into Israel or not. We will see how that all works out. But one of the places I suspect might be a place is Petra. If you've been to Petra, millions of people can live safely safely in this dry riverbed. But the interesting thing is, it is a dry riverbed. And the, the dragon could cause water as a flood to come out of the mouth of the dragon and the, the earth would have to open up and swallow the flood or the people would be drowned. So that's, I don't know, that's all very interesting. We'll see how that all works out. Exodus 14.3, Pharaoh said to the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. This is what we're talking about, being entangled in the land. The unwalled villages is probably in these areas here. Now, this is what we're going to talk about in the tomorrow's program. More that is in the book about the, the Red Sea Crossing. So what we're asking you to do today is to get this book in DVD. Now, hang on, hang on. I'm going to put a challenge out there. I've had several emails come to me lately, and people will be repenting. I've been watching you for for years, and I never sent a donation until right now. And, oh, I'm really sorry. I know I should have a long time ago. But anyway, here's my donation. So let me first speak to all of the people that have never supported this ministry. I'm going to ask you this time to consider supporting it. And it's not about money. I want to get you excited about proving that the Bible is true. I think you will be so amazed by this book. It's it's book and DVD. This book is just high. Well, here's the picture of what we were just talking about. High quality, full color photographs, eight and a half by 11, big, I mean, really nice stuff. And when I saw this book, I said, oh, I got to have it. <laughs> I got to have it because I've been there. I mean, less when I've been there, we, we know this stuff's true. We've been there. You know, we got our own photographs, a lot of this stuff. This, if we really are in the last days, and I think we both believe we are, then, see, God has put archaeological evidence into the earth to convince those people that will be convinced. Some people you never convince. And what this book and DVD are is some is 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 giving you the ability to put in your hands the ability to explain the validity and the truth of the Bible. Now, here's what we're asking. Okay, so the book is seventy five dollars, but you can buy your three thousand dollar airline ticket. You can go to Turkey. You can go to Israel. You can spend four or five thousand dollars looking for this stuff. You won't find it. You will not find them. I'll tell you right now. You will not find the things that are in this book because you won't have God guiding you and directing you. Some places you can't even get into today. So for $75 for that book, bargain. Bargain. It's about winning souls. Now this is a three and a half hour double DVD. Now it's only one disc. It's not two discs. It's one disc. But it's a, a double layer. It's three and a half hours. And this explains the things that are in the book. So you need both. Don't think about getting one or the other. Get both. So we're doing this. The DVD is 50. The book is 75, but you can get both of them for a $100 donation at prophecyclub.com. Now, I got the, the box behind me to show you. We just got them in. We just got them in at the, at the, at the warehouse, and we are all ready to ship book and DVD. All you got to do is go to prophecyclub.com, 
and place your order. And if you want to, you can even have them overnighted to you. If you want to have food in the travel ahead, this is actually a loaf of bread that I made. Cut that into 14 slices. That feeds one person for one week. I recommend you go to josephskitchen.com, get a machine package, which is all the gizmos you need to take the wheat berries and you make whole wheat bread. Wheat berries, 30 seconds, you got flour. Two hours and 20 minutes later, you got a nice hot steaming loaf of whole wheat bread. So then, after you get the machines package, you have to decide. You want supplies or food enough for one person one year, two people one year, four people one year, six people one year. And I calculated it up. If you put all those together, this is just how cheap it can be. So you get a machines package, $620. Then you order six people one year, $3,700. So you divide that 4320 by six. That's about $720 a person per year. Most of the other freeze-dried, your long-term storage, emergency food places out there, they're selling it for around nine or $10,000. For one person, one year. You got that? Nine or ten thousand dollar, one person, one year. Joseph's Kitchen doing it, and the ballpark around thousand dollars. And if you're thinking about getting gold or silver, we're going to send you to CornerstoneAssetMetals.com. Telling your Prophecy Club, hey, <clears throat> love Prophecy Club people because they're informed. And I also want you to go to this. I can't say the words on this page. You have to look. So you go to this location. And then you search these three words. Watch the water. I'll say those words. And you watch this guy, and he's going to tell you, and apparently he is very convincing based upon the people responding. What he's saying is they are already putting poison in the tap and in the bottled water, and Leslie confirms that with a prophet she gave back in 2011. She's not going to be able to trust the tap water or the bottled water. So if you want to get a Berkey water filter, you go to prophecyclub.com, you click Berkey's. I recommend at least you get this one. This is the, the, the big Berkey. A lot of people are getting the Imperials in here. I have the Crown Berkey, which has eight filters. It's enough to filter water for a whole neighborhood. And I want to remind you, this is what the ships look like off of China. So a lot of the things that we are expecting to be coming from China... Not coming. They're still in a big lockdown. I just watched Fox News last night. Still, they have locked down China. <laughs> they aren't even making a lot of the computers, a lot of things. They've just stopped China from moving. That means it's going to affect us. If you think about getting an EMP shield device so your car will start or your computers in your home will not be corrupted or fried the computer chips when there's some kind of an EMP blast or a suitcase nuke, then we'll send you to empshield.com. And if you enter the promo code PROPHECY, you'll get a $50 discount, and it helps your prophecy. Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.